0: a better way. Hi, folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters, aka the Ant Hill. Today is Friday, it's August 19th, 2011, and Friday usually means we're going to do a listener feedback show, but we're not going to do that today, because I've been busy as hell just trying to figure out how much money you guys donated to that poor lady with bone cancer being oppressed by the city of Salem, and a bunch of ass clown politicians up there. And I, I don't even have a full total for you, I'm going to tell you right now that the number's about 5000 bucks and some change at least. Um, and that I do know that the, the total collections for Jan as of midnight last night were about $16,200. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about what's going on here. I'm going to recognize some big donors I have sitting up on my board um, a group of about I think seven people that donated over collectively just seven people over $2,000 and I'm going to recognize them anybody that I don't have like a company for I'm just going to give you their first name last initial because I don't know if they want to be on but I'm going to do that and I'm going to talk a little bit about personal liberty and then I'm going to switch today uh, from doing like one total topic and I'm going to talk about lessons and actionable intelligence from your garden and I'm going to tell you Some of the things that I learned this year with that little stupid back garden of mine that are going to help me do a better job uh, going into fall gardening and definitely going into spring gardening next year. And the things I wouldn't have learned if I hadn't done them. So this will be kind of a, a, a show with... Three topics, you know, we'll talk about Jan and what's going on there, recognize some people for helping out, and 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 explain, you know, it's not over yet and, and what's going on. A little bit about what the government uh, of Salem has come back with and the nonsense there. I'm going to ask you maybe to pick the phone up, make a couple phone calls for me today or maybe Monday, uh, if you want to, to, to the mayor's office in Salem. And uh, I'm going to talk about how this is really a personal liberty issue and how this really affects us all, and then we'll go into the garden topic. Before we do all that, though, let's go ahead and take care of those sponsors because, boy, do they do a lot to help take care of you by supporting the show and making sure it's here for you. Five days a week, Monday through Friday. Sponsor of the day number one today, one of my favorite people in the world, Marjorie Wildcraft. Down there is south of Austin with BackyardFoodProduction.com and her DVD, Food Production Systems for a Backyard or Small Farm. If you want to know how to turn your property, and I don't care if it's 10 acres in the country or a tenth of an acre in the suburbs. If you want to know how to turn that property into a food production machine, you got to go get her DVD the bonus dvd all the documents that come on the bonus actually it's a cd uh, alone are worth the cost of the dvd and the dvd to me is priceless i learned so much from Marjorie's DVD, about things I could actually do, not just theory I could actually think about. So check out BackyardFoodProduction.com today. Next up today, Fortress Defense Consultants, the amazing Frank Sharp Jr. there. Uh, it heads up a cadre of some of the best instructors in the business. Folks, if you have lots of guns and very little to no Firearms training, get your ass some firearms training. You do not know if you're gonna be ready to do what you need to do, if God forbid you ever have to, unless you train. You know, they say that you, uh, you default to your highest level of experience. No, you default to your lowest level of training when it comes to critical situations. Please make the investment with yourself and get some firearms training. If it's not even with Frank, do it somewhere. Now, the reason I think you should go with Frank is one, he supports the show. Okay so always try to give your business to our sponsors first when a sponsor does what you're going to spend your money on anyway. Two because if you can't get to Illinois where Frank is, but you can go to get you know get a bunch of guys together down at the Garden Gun Club or whatever or at work or you you know if you want to put together a Boy Scout troop and have them trained He will come to you and set up at a range near you and provide training for you. If you have a group put together like with a homestead thing or kind of a a compound thing and you want to know not just how to be trained, but how to set up and defend your location, he'll even come out and consult with you and tell you how to do that. Very few farms instructors will go to those lengths to help uh their customers. That's why I think you should talk you you know talk to uh Fortress Defense consultants and consider getting some training for them from them today. Alright, next up, remember to connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, and our forum. Those, those are the best ways to connect with myself and other members of the community. Remember to check out our gear shop. We have some really cool stuff there. T-shirts, hats, coins. You know, The geocache coins are cool. The bottle openers, the emberlet stoves. All the, uh, we, have, we have a few of the Swiss Army knives, the engraved ones, because of the debacle that happened where somebody stole a case of them. Uh, we were able to not just replace the ones that were stolen with insurance money. We actually ended up getting the recovered items back, so we have some of the uh, Swiss Army trekkers, folks. Are there's not many of those left. If you'd like one, get one. Consider getting the Kydex sheaths that we have for them as well. Really, really cool. Last but not least, do consider joining the member support brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You get a bunch of free videos, you get a bunch of free ebooks, you get a bunch of discounts. I've said it before, so you guys know how it works. You support the show at 20 cents an episode, and if you do anything in this industry, if you buy anything for prepping, you get your money back because of the savings. All right, with that, let's get into the main topic of today's show, actually multiple topics today. Starting out with Jan Klein, for those that maybe didn't hear yesterday's and some reason are listening today's is your first show or, or what have you, Jan Klein is a woman up in Salem, Oregon, who is an entrepreneur. She was an entrepreneur anyway. She ran a business her whole life. And she was able to stay afloat and do fairly well right through the recession until last year when she was given some of the worst news you can ever hear from a doctor. I'm sorry you have cancer. And and those words were followed up by, and I'm really sorry because you have terminal bone cancer that's going to eat away your bones. And in her own words at this point, her bones are so weak from the cancer that she could literally break a leg by walking. That That's how far this disease has progressed for this lady. So... Obviously, dying in America is an expensive proposition. It's expensive to die with any dignity and comfort in America. So her medical bills are through the roof and it's pretty much wiped her out. She has virtually no income because, you know, she didn't get laid off, right? This is an entrepreneur who lost her business because she can't run it anymore. So being an entrepreneur, instead of saying to people, help me, help me, help me, right? You know, give me something. She said, you know what I'll do? I'll take the last of my possessions and I'll start selling them off. Any yard sales. She started running yard sales on the weekends, and to not cause problems for her neighbors, this lady was considerate enough to run them in her backyard. Well, there happens to be a law in the, the city of Salem, Oregon, that says you can only have uh, three yard sales a year and one turd of a neighbor. And the neighbor is a turd, and anybody that defends this neighbor to me, don't waste your breath or your energy or your keystrokes. There is no defense of a turd like this. I'll talk about one person who defended the turd later, and I'll tell you how wrong that person is and why this doesn't have to affect Jan, even if the turd was inconvenienced in some way. Um, But the turd complained, and the city came out and said, I'm sorry, rules are rules, and shut down her yard sale. And I put out a post yesterday, and I did a, a, a little bit on the show yesterday about Jan, and I asked this audience to contribute. And what I did is I put up a hundred bucks straight out of the gate before I asked you guys to contribute a dime. And I said, if we hit a thousand bucks, I'll put up another hundred. Uh, we, we're way over a thousand bucks, folks. Um, I said, if we hit two thousand, I might put up a second hundred. I'm gonna do that because we're way past two thousand. So I'm gonna put up an extra two hundred bucks. Some of you guys did even more than I'm doing. And I want to talk about just the people that have helped. And basically what we decided was, you know what, we can't change the law in Salem. And I'm going to tell you how stupid the Salem government is here in a second. um, But we can help this lady. And maybe instead of worrying about whether or not she can have a yard sale somewhere, we should just maybe make it for her where she doesn't need one. You know, where... Maybe she doesn't have to sell the last of the things that she owns, and maybe she could hold on to them. So I said, why don't we go to this page that they set up so we can donate to Jan. I verified that the funds go to an, a bank account with KeyBank, and there's only two people that can access that account. One is Jan, and the other one is her caregiver, a gentleman named Dave, who's doing a, a wonderful thing to be helping a person at this time in their life. It's something I don't know that I could do. So I asked you guys to dig in and do it. Well, I I can't give you a full total. It's about five grand right now. I know that last night again, the organization itself sent out an email that said they were over 16,000. Well, if you guys did five out of 16, that means the rest of the internet did 66%. The whole internet, because this thing's going viral all over the place, the rest of the internet did 60% of the donations, and you guys did about 40. Think about that. That should make you feel really good. I know it makes me feel good. It's almost overwhelming for me to realize that. And, and the reason that I'm doing this, and people, a couple of people ask me, you know, why are you, why are you, you know, you selectively take a cause once in a while and do this. I can't do every one, but every once in a while something comes by that really moves me and I feel that like we need to do something about it. I want you guys to understand something. I started this as just a guy in a car with a recorder over three years ago. And twenty plus thousand of you guys have helped me build it into what it is, and I feel that we have a voice and we're heard, and we also now have a social responsibility when things are done like this to step in and do something. And right now, I want to recognize some people that stepped in and did something. Again, I'm only going to give the last initial of people that are a first name. They gave me like first and last name, and I don't have a company to mention. Eric L. Eric L. gave a hundred dollars. Uh, a guy I can only tell you is the initials of DP, and he has a website that's just a placeholder called lemmingwatch.com. You know, like lemmings that run off a cliff? He gave 400 bucks. Um, and his, Again, his site's a placeholder. Dude, uh, lemmingwatch sounds like a great idea. Maybe you should develop that site. I, I think that would be awesome. Uh, William S., William or Bill S., depending on, I guess, how you call him, uh, gave a $1,000. A thousand bucks from William S. I am absolutely dumbfounded, blown away that somebody took the time to do that and, and made the sacrifice to do that. Thank you, William. Uh, ITS Tactical, Brian Black, my good friend, uh, they put up a hundred bucks. Uh, Ralph N put up a hundred bucks. John over at SOE Tactical Gear, you know, I always tell you, Bill's the best gear, does it all in America, that type of thing, buy his gear. Uh, he put up a hundred bucks on this. Um, Kurt H put up a hundred bucks. Uh, Danelle and Wayne, I don't have their last name, but a couple, Danelle and Wayne put up 200 bucks and Philip P put up $100. Now, um, I, again, I'm gonna have to put up 200 more with my original 100. So just that, just that group of donors and myself is $2,400. I wanna say something else though, because a lot of you guys gave five bucks, ten bucks, six bucks, seven bucks. Twenty bucks. Lots of people gave twenty. Lots of people gave fifty. And a lot of you when you sent me your receipts said, I wish you could be more, uh, you know, every I think, I guess every little bit helps. And almost apologetically, let me tell you something. The five bucks, the six bucks, the seven bucks, all of that, it adds up, people. Every person that did something here, you should feel proud of yourself. And you should feel proud of the community that you're part of. Because this is walking the walk, not just talking the talk. This is, we're for individual liberty, we're for independence, and we're for preparedness. Well, this lady's preparedness is lacking. Because how do you prepare to have your bones eaten away by cancer? It's almost impossible to be prepared for something like that. But the community of preparedness is stepping in and saying, we'll help you. Because because we're prepared, we have a surplus that we can donate. That's survivalism. Because if you can't, you cannot ensure your survival if you don't care about the survival of others. And it's a personal liberty issue because we have an oppression going on here by a city to this lady. And I want to talk a little bit about that aspect of it right now. But again, before I go on, I want you to realize if you only gave five bucks, do not feel like you didn't do something that really mattered. The biggest thing that struck me, and I, I, I observe details, I think, when other people don't. Um, if you watch the video, when you see people looking at the items, there's a little box, and in that that box is something like a dollar or seventy five cents. I don't remember the exact amount, but it was some very small figure. I think it was seventy five cents. Everything in there was seventy five cents, fifty cents a buck, whatever it was. And there's a bunch of stuff in there. And if you're going through a yard sale, it's just a bunch of junk. But when you're going through the end of your life, you know what? All those are the last things you have that people are going through as junk and paying a buck a piece for. If you gave five bucks, those are five things that lady doesn't have to give away now. Do not think for a moment it doesn't matter because it does. And that five bucks will do more for that lady than 5,000 will ever do in the hands of your government because people solve problems, governments create problems. On that note, this is why I want you to consider calling the city of Salem today because the mayor of the city of Salem, Oregon, is a freaking pea brain. Uh, she is a, a lady, uh, a turd of a lady, I think, at this point in my my life. Until I see something that changes my mind about that. Her name is Mayor Ann M. Peterson, and I want you to call her today, and I'd like you to email her today, and I'd like you to do both because I'd like to make sure that your voice is heard, and I'd like you to tell her that if she doesn't do something about this, that you're going to contribute to another clause, seeing to it that when her term expires on December 31st, 2012, she doesn't get reelected because whoever runs against her will get behind them and give them some funding all right and this is why this is why i think this lady's an idiot and i don't want you to tell her she's an idiot i want you to be way nicer than me when you make your phone calls and send your emails today because this freaking brilliant freaking you know brain scientist of a mayor said i'm deeply concerned about this and we're working to figure out how we can help her Okay, well, the community's helping her, your honor, the mayor, okay? The people all over the nation are helping her, and they, they view you very, very poorly, and her very, very, very positively. Maybe if she beats this thing, we should make her mayor, ha- and, and make you go away. Don't, again, don't say that to her, all right? But here's what she said. We're looking for to find some commercial property that we can allow her to use for her sales. She has bone cancer, you freaking moron! What are you going to do, have her carry her stuff? From her house to your commercial property and your benevolence. So what I would like you guys to do for me today. I asked you to donate yesterday. If you haven't donated yet, still consider donating. But what I would like you to do today is I would like you to call Mayor Anna M. Peterson. Salem, Oregon's mayor. And I'd like you to explain for her what a freaking waiver is. This is how you do this, you freaking moron. You issue the lady a waiver. And you say... You hereby have the right to you know, conduct garage sales for the rest of 2012 on a, on a weekly basis so long as they're in your backyard and the appropriate measures are taken. And you give her the waiver and you take a copy of it and you go over to the neighbor that bitched and you staple it to her freaking forehead. Okay? And you say, there, you understand now? Shut up. And you're done. And this could all be done in five freaking minutes. But they're looking for a solution. This is bullshit. So I want you to... You know, calm down from my level of anger over the stupidity right now. And that's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to pick your phone up. And I'd like you to dial this number, 503-588-6159. Let me give you that number again, 503-588-6159. One more time, 503-588-6159. And uh, you can email her. Uh, at, A.M. Peterson at cityofsalem.net. I'll put that in the show notes for you. Uh, but I would like you to set, to call, because your call will be heard more than your email. Emails are easy to delete. Trust me, I delete plenty of them every day. And you do too. You know, the ones about Viagra and whatnot. So, pick up the phone, 503-588-6159, and explain to her honor the mayor, politely, more politely than I can be right now, that it's called a waiver, and it's something that any municipality has the power to do. If municipalities have uh, the power to enact a law or a code, they have the same power to make a waiver for the law or the code. Ask Obama, he's issued like 2,500 of them to let companies out of Obamacare so they won't go broke, because can't have that going into an election. So, waivers are something politicians and lawmakers should be familiar with. Apparently, Mayor Anna M. Peterson is too retarded to know what a, neighbor, what a waiver is, and so was the city council. So if you'd like to call them too, that would be okay. But I'd call the mayor because she's the one that runs the council and heads the council. So she can just tell the council this is what we're going to do and they can just do it. This can be done in less time than it's taken me to talk about it today. But that's why I said governments don't solve problems. Governments create problems. This is a perfect example. And I'm going to kind of switch gears now. I want to talk about the personal liberty issue that's going on here today. Um, this is a big part of I mean, I feel so bad for, for uh for Jan. I really do. I mean but to be honest, isn't there somewhere, someplace every day someone dealing with something like this or or maybe even worse? Um and we can't help everybody. We can only help some. And 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 that's why uh, you know, we just can't all, if you say, you know, give me a list of all the cancer patients out there right now that have terminal bone cancer, I mean, it's, it's the number's too vast for one community to, to help everybody. So why, Jan, why did this hit me so much? Because of the oppression by a city government, just like the people that they were going to threaten to put in jail over a garden, just like the people in Canada who turned two and a half acres of gravel into something beautiful and have been given a cease and desist order now, because it's personal liberty and this is my goal. This is my new, my new initiative to whenever we find something like this that's gross and, and blatant, that we're going to do something. And there's going to be times you're going to send me something in your shirt, something we should get behind, and we're not always going to do it, folks. Maybe you do it. Maybe you take your blog and you go somewhere else, and you take because I can only do so many. I can't, I cannot have the audience lathered up over an issue every single day, right? We can only we focus on one, like a like a you know, you put sunlight and you get a suntan, but if you use a magnifying glass and make a point, it burns. Well, we can only focus on so many things at one time. But whenever we find one that really sticks out. And, and we're not in the middle of another one, then we're going to turn our focus there. And whether it's donating, whether it's making phone calls, whether it's writing letters, whether it's being viral, because here's what I want. I want every city, uh, you know, pencil pushing bureaucrat out there that, that does this crap. And the reason that, that you would walk up to a lady dying of bone cancer and you would say, you have to stop doing this, rules or ru- rules, is because you're scared. You're scared that if you buck the system you're in, you'll lose your ass your job or you'll get written up or you won't get a promotion or whatever. You're afraid because you're a coward because only a coward could 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 stand to do what was done here. Only a coward like that, that ass clown that didn't know what the definition of suitable was could, could could look anybody in the face and say, I'll put somebody in jail for 90 days for a guard. Only a coward does that. They're afraid that if they buck their own system that there'll be trouble for them. I want to make them afraid, far more afraid, that they're going to cast a, a, a dark shadow on their community, their town, and their government and their system. I want these people terrified to do stupid shit. I want them to be like, Pff, man, I. if this lady calls the cops and... Or this lady calls the media and this gets on the internet and man, we gotta figure out a reasonable solution that works for everybody here. We're not just gonna go with the whole rules or rules shit. I, I need to be a check on this law cause it doesn't make sense here. Uh, we need to work with, we, we do not need, I want them scared. I want them scared that not just Jack Spirico, but a hundred versions of Jack Spirico are gonna talk about them and point the finger at where it's, where the blame lies. I want them Deathly afraid to be the person that did something so stupid that their city ends up on the nightly news all over America for being stupid. I want them to be terrified that their stupid action will result in their city being targeted in a Facebook blitz and 2 million people tomorrow morning will know that they suck. And that they're oppressing one of their own citizens with some stupid, outdated law with a rules or rules thing. I want them looking at these things as going, hey, there's a problem here. How do we fix it versus it's just the way it is, so we'll just do it because that's my freaking job, 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. Or if you're in Oak Park, Michigan, Monday through Thursday because your city's so freaking broke because you're wasting your money going around attacking people over a garden. You can't even keep your city's doors open five days a week. That's what I want. Because I'm going to tell you a fact here that I've been mentioning a few times recently, and that is that there's a truth in that all politics are local. Um, not a big fan of the mostly, you know, either party, so I'm, and I'm really not a fan of Democrat, the Democrat Party, so I'm really not a fan of Tip O'Neill or his old man, uh, but that's the source of that term, and it's right. But I mean it in a different way than he did. If you have a really hard time oppressing people at a local level, if every time you try to oppress people at a local level, you get a foot on your throat, then doing it at a county level or a state level or a federal level is really, really hard. So if you don't want things like this to spread through your country, if you don't want people's personal liberty taken away, if you don't want a person being told what they can and cannot do in their own backyard then when it happens to them, you better do something. You better speak up. You better make something happen. Because if you don't, sooner or later it will happen in your backyard. And you'll wonder why no one's speaking up for you. When we see injustice, we speak up and we act. And like I said, I feel at this point that our community, and especially myself, because I'm so blessed by the community, has a social responsibility that when things like this happen, we don't just get angry, we take action, and we make our voices heard. So I'm going to ask you one more time if you'll do this for me today. I'm going to ask you to pick up your phone and dial 503-588-6159, and you won't get Mayor Anna M. Peterson, because I'm sure she's getting raked over the coals. You get one of her aides or assistants or something like that today. And I want you to explain to her aide or to her her honor, if she happens to be the one you talk to, what a waiver is and how it works and how simple it would be for them to issue one. And if they say, well, we can't do that because, no, you can. Yes, you can. Trust me, if the mayor of a city wants to issue a waiver, they can. Now, somebody else might challenge it. So what? Do it, stand behind it. Mean it, and let the challengers look like the ass clowns that they are. The problem is, in our governments today, we have no one with any spine, no one with any courage. So grow a spine, Miss Ann M. Peterson. Grow a spine and do the right thing. Now, the beauty of this is, we're doing this just for liberty. Because trust me, with the help coming from this audience, and the help coming from the rest of the country, and to be fair, all around the world right now, this lady's not going to have to sell her stuff anymore. We're not doing this so that Jan can run yard sales now. We're doing this so in Jan's own words, she hoped this would never happen to anyone else. Well, we want it to never happen to anyone else, at least in Salem, Oregon, because we want those people terrified of the black cloud they'll put on their own city for being a bunch of freaking idiots. Okay, blood pressure needs to come down now, and I need to relax so that I can talk about a much happier topic. Um, But this was important to me, and I I thank you for for hanging with me for 25 minutes of today's show to continue to talk about it. You know, though, freedom is is only useful if you do something with it. And I, I want everybody to realize that today as I talk about gardening. Sometimes when I talk about gardening, I get emails from people that say it's really not a survival topic, and I ask them if they ate today, and they usually say yes. Did you eat yesterday? Uh You're going to eat tomorrow. Yeah, well, what do you eat? You eat food. Okay, well, growing your own food is a survival topic, friend. But it's also a liberty. It's a freedom. And to grow something and own what you grow, you know, that sounds so basic, but do you know it wasn't always that way? Do you know that small farmers throughout medieval England and medieval Europe didn't own their land. People came here to America more than any other reason because they had the promise of being able to own land, either when they got here or sometime thereafter, or maybe even just work really hard so that their kids could own land. Because that dream wasn't available in the rest of the world. And a big, you know, what they wanted to do with that land. I mean, this is before the gold rush in the 1840s and all that stuff, and there was, you know, some interest in gold and timber and stuff. But basically. People wanted land so they could grow stuff. They wanted to farm. They wanted to be able to keep every bit of what they grew. And if they sold some of it, they wanted to be entitled to the profit from it. And and so to me, gardening is not just about feeding ourselves. It's about liberty. And it's about understanding that the people that came here before us came here for that very reason. Whether it was 40 acres and they wanted to actually have a small commercial farm or whether it was just they wanted an acre or two and they wanted to have a job and they wanted to have the ability to feed their family from their backyards. That freedom at one time was very unique to America. It wasn't a tribal land where you had to ask a chief if you could grow tobacco, corn, or potatoes and how much you could grow. It wasn't owned by a nobleman who said, you will grow this and I will take 70% and you'll get 30 It wasn't like that. Anyone who really wanted to could own land and grow. So that's why, that's part of why I talk so much about it. And I also believe that we've become disconnected with our food supplies. I really have. I really do. Um, I am always saddened if I go to a grocery store and I go get something that's just a little bit different. You know, it's not a carrot or a pepper. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a bundle of parsley. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's a, a, a serrano pepper. Maybe it's a poblano pepper. Maybe it's, you know, anything that's not, you know, the two or three things that most people eat all the time. You know, it's not a tomato or a bell pepper. <sighs> a carrot or a potato, that's pretty much the ones that the kids know today. You know, it's about it. Maybe cucumbers they know. You know, and and you, you get there and there's this, you know, young kid or, you know, young adult. I'm like, what's this? What's that? You they can work at a grocery store and they don't know. That's disconnection. That That's disconnection with your food supply. Not to mention poor, poor skills for someone employed by a store. If you're going to work in a store, you should know what the stuff in the store is. At least take a walk over there and read the sign. But it is a disconnect. And, you know, you talk to kids today and they don't really understand where their food comes from at all. And I think most adults under 40, um, unless you're involved purposefully in, in, in knowing, you don't know either. So that's a big part of why I think everybody should have some level of garden, even if it's five pots with herbs in them on your back porch, because that's all you have room for right now. But when you start growing food, you learn things, and it's what I call actionable intelligence from the garden. And that's what I want to talk about for the second half of today's show, is what we, how we gather and use intelligence. Intelligence is useless unless we can take an action, and unless we actually take the action based on the intelligence. So this year I did something I think a lot of people were pretty skeptical of what the results would be. I got, you know, like 15 bags of topsoil, actually potting soil, because it was much better for the purpose. I laid them out on the ground. I built a little trellis behind part of it. In an L shape and a part of my land with good solar exposure. I cut the tops off and I planted stuff in it. And I didn't do that till June. And it was very, very hot out by the time I did that. And it, of course, has required a lot of watering to keep it, keep it healthy given how hot it's been. And uh people said I don't think that's going to work real well especially with big plants like squash and you know tomatoes and stuff like that I, I don't know how much you're going to get out of there well it's been really really productive yesterday I posted a picture the, the 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 summer squash actually would have made it a little bit longer uh but it was covered in squash bugs and it was you know lacking luster and what have you so I'm going to get those bags kind of tuned up a little bit and plant some other stuff and them going into fall Uh, And I have Sean, my buddy, coming in tomorrow with a backhoe, so my my garden beds will start going in now with my proper beds. Uh, But there's still production there. A couple tomato plants are doing really good. A couple of the big winter squashes are, like, you know, growing 20 feet across the ground, climbing up the trees, and starting to put on some winter squashes. I've got some watermelons going. And so there's some production this year, and that was the whole purpose. I wasn't really thinking about actionable intelligence when I put the garden in, but I got a lot of it. I'm going to share some of it with you today, uh, including a thing that might be uh, a way to control squash vine borers, if you can figure out how to, to make it work for you. Um, but now that was all I wanted to do, was get some production, so I took like the worst area on my property that had good solar exposure, the the last place that I'm actually going to do anything with the land, and it's just like a slab of rock, basically, and, and put this garden in. And then lo and behold, I began to get a lot of things that I'll be able to use going into next year as far as knowledge of my land that if I had not done this if I just skipped it I wouldn't have gathered this intelligence this summer and it wouldn't really be that useful to me in the, you know, for the fall because I'm gonna gather a different type of intelligence in the fall there's different pests there's different predators everything's different in the fall so I need to know coming out of spring into summer next year what to expect here's some things that I learned number one um, no one around me seems to have real problems with squash vine borers. Uh, I took that to mean that maybe there just weren't any of them here, which seemed kind of odd to me because so many people grow squash around here. Well, yesterday when I cut down the plants, I just cut them and left the roots in the ground, uh, several of the summer squash plants that were doing pretty good despite being you know menaced, and I have used no pesticides, no insect control whatsoever this year, just planted the stuff and watered it, that's it. Uh, to basically to see what, what happened, to just allow this to happen. So I had seen several squash vine borer moths, Well when I cut open the, the, the stalks of these plants, there was borer activity. There was holes in them. So I split the vines all the way up, and I couldn't find a borer. The the worm was gone. And um, that seemed kind of odd to me, because by this time of year they should still be in there. They should be really big and fat and and doing lots of damage by now. Well, I cut the second one that also had a, I could see the hole, And when I cut it, you know what came out of the hole? About 50 big black ants. And there was no vine borer in there either. And several of the other plants, when I cut them open, there were ants going actively inside and out of the stalks. Now, they weren't doing any damage to the plants. I could tell that they weren't really hurting anything. I think those black ants went in there, killed the squash vine borers, cut them up in little pieces, and took them down their ant hole. So yay, ants. Um, I've been looking for something to control squash vine borers with forever, and my instinct is that these big black ants feed on their larvae, and that fire ants don't. Because I had fire ants all over the place in my garden in Texas, and I had, you know, just miserable results with squash vine borers. So I'm not quite sure yet. If the ants did this, but I don't have another explanation. I've never seen a, a especially a summer squash vine because they don't crawl and reroot in different spots like winter squash does, and they're big, fat, juicy vines. Every time I've seen one of those infiltrated by borers, it's been the death sentence for the plant. What I've seen here is the damage was repairable because the borers are gone. So I don't know if it was a short life cycle for them and they just cocoon back in, into the soil. Or if the ants took them out, but I have a really sneaking suspicion that big black ants are your solution to the squash vine borer problem. They're all over a lot of my plants, and I don't see aphids. Usually, when you see ants, you see the milking aphids. I don't have any aphids that I see, and I think they're acting like sentries, and they're doing a lot of damage uh, to to the uh, to the pests. And that's great. I know they don't mess with the squash bugs because I've seen them walk right past them. Apparently ants don't like those things either, and I haven't found a solution to them yet. But they're far easier to control. So that's, that's one thing that I learned this year, which um, I don't think I would have learned that you know, anytime soon had I not gone ahead and planted those. I've also discovered that there are a tremendous variety of wasps in my area. Uh, and they're all over my plants. So there's black wasps, really long, weird-looking abdomens and everything, and I'm, I'm still trying to identify all of these. But I learned one new species this year, and I think they're a really cool, really neat-looking wasp, and they're pretty... Um, passive. I haven't had any problems with them. I've, you know, pulled, they, they really like the basil, and they'll be on the basil, and I've not seen them, and I'm sure if you grab them, you're going to get stung, but, you know, not grab them, but right next to them, yank the basil leaf off, and they just fly up and look at you, and they go right back down. And they're black with this, like, white white part on their on their back. So I looked those up, and they're called a mason wasp, like a mason bee. These are a mason wasp, and they're an awesome pollinator. So they're a beneficial that I have in my area that, again, I don't think I would have even recognized or known they were there without the garden. And once I started looking for them, they're everywhere all the time. So mason wasps are cool, and they're a great pollinator. So I haven't learned a lot about them yet. I don't think I need to provide them with much other than pollen, uh, which you know my garden will naturally do anyway. But I don't know if maybe there's a way to encourage them to nest the way that we encourage mason bees to nest. I know they're solitary uh, they probably wouldn't nest in a colony the way that mason bees do, but it it might be something worth looking into. So that's another piece of actionable intelligence. Keep planting lots of pollen generating plants because these mason wasps come along and 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 get the pollen. They also kill stuff, right? So I mean they're a predator as well. So they have you know a dual benefit. You know, and that's I love mason bees, but it's more than I can say for a mason bee. A mason bee pollinates and that's it. These wasps will also take out some of your pests. I also have these big red wasps, the ones that I don't like when they make a nest like in my well pump house or something like that. But I've been watching them, and it's fascinating what their behavior is. I have the back garden in the front. I have a container garden in the back, and I seem to get more of these wasps in the container garden. And I'll sit out there sometimes, and they'll land like it's shaped like an L, and they'll land like on the first plant. And they like go all around the plant looking for anything they can kill or, or, or eat. And If they don't find it, they just buzz right to the next container and they literally patrol the plants. So I know red wasps suck when they sting. Uh, They really, really hurt and I do not like them in certain areas but unless they're in an area where they're going to cause problems, I would leave them alone uh, because I find them to be very, very beneficial to my plants in the back. I also learned that I have what most people have anywhere you can grow a tomato in my area. Tomato hornworms. And I learned that tomato hornworms will not just eat tomatoes, they'll eat peppers. I had them literally strip every leaf, one worm, I'm pretty sure it was one, when I found him, he was huge, strip every leaf off of a jalapeno pepper plant, and he ate an entire mammoth jalapeno. I'm talking about a, I'd say four inch long, double the size of a man's thumb around pepper, he ate it down to the stalk. So um, tomato hornworms, are absolutely not affected in any way by capsaicin. Now, I'll tell you, these these hornworms did a really did a number. I, I think I had lost two of the four tomatoes that I planted were completely a loss because of the attack by these things. But remember that my tomato plants were really small in June when it was hot and under stress. The two that made it through, actually three made it through, are doing really, no, four, four made it through. So I must have planted like six. Because two of them I, I cut down what was a little... Pathetic stumps of them yesterday. So you have six tomato plants that are starting to put fruit on and do fairly well. One's hanging in there. The other three are doing good. Um, So they can handle it. I've had to pick them off. I haven't seen any as of late. Uh, There is a wasp out there that will go and kill these things. They lay little clusters of eggs on them, and then the wasp larva just lives on the back of the tomato hornworms. It looks like a bunch of little rice on them. I never saw any worm get that, but this wasp is called um, a brachanoid wasp. And uh, I ha- since I know what the wasp looks like now, I can tell you that I do have them. So I believe that I won't have much problems with hornworms next year, and I know that from the gardening that I've done. Uh, the cool thing I've learned about these brachinoid wasps is they are available as a biological control. So if you're having problems with hornworms, you can go to different you know websites and catalogs, and you can order them uh, in, and put them out in spring. But what I've learned this year is if my plants, starting really, really late, being really, really small, being under stress, if some of them could get through, then I know that they'll be able to do very well here, which is great news. I've had very little problems, a little bit of blight spotting here and there, but not really any blight problems. So my my misery from the blight issue in Texas seems to be beyond me. Uh, that I learned in the garden. There's also a cool new little creature that I've discovered that inhabits my area, and it's a tree frog called a copes gray tree frog. And they're all over Arkansas. never had seen one before we came here. And the first one I saw was living on our house. We have the pergola we put up. And when it goes in front of the house, it actually is not attached to the house. There's like a, a facing board. And there's a couple inches between the house and that, that backside facing board. And it creates shade up there. And this little frog, he's about you know two inches long, was living up above the door, up above the window. And he would just sit up there in the shade all day. Until night, and then he'd go out and do his frog thing. And every once in a while, we have one of those like two gallon uh, self dispensing dog water bowls. It looks like a like an office water cooler in miniature for the dogs when they're outside, or for when the you know the neighbor's dog comes by, he's got water too. And this frog was using the water bowl like a pond. So if it got too hot during the day, he'd climb down. And he'd go in the, the little pond and swim around. Then he'd go back up in his little shade hole. And it was kind of cool. And I'd see him out there. Well, lo and behold, I guess him and his, uh, his brothers and sisters were quite prolific. And these things are everywhere now. And these little tiny ones are all over my plants eating pests. And if I had used any kind of pesticide, I might have you know either killed them or killed all of their, their prey so they wouldn't come there. And these little guys are so cool when you water or when it rains the the especially the male squash blossoms fill up with water and when you when you go by and you water or, or shake the plants a lot of times they come out and they're in the they go in the flower and they sit in there like it's a little pool for them uh you know just amazing things you wouldn't see if you if you didn't take the time to garden and, and to pay attention to what's going on so i've got these copes gray tree frogs everywhere so my thoughts are: when I put a couple little ponds in and one big pond in, I should blow up that population. <clears throat> then I should have a massive team of frogs, you know, taking care of things like slugs and cutworms and stuff like that. Also, one of my favorite little creatures in the world is now back in my life. When I was a kid growing up in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, we would run around and we, you know, catch snakes and stuff like that and. Frogs and all kinds of stuff, but the the one thing you could always find unless it was too cold when they were hibernating were green and uh little green lizards, and a little ones could be tiny, and a big one might be head to tail seven inches long, but they're probably only about four that tail you know gets three to four inches long itself. They could drop that tail when we first came up here, I put a picture on Facebook. There was one kind of hanging out on my deck, a male, and he would run down the deck thing and Put his little red, you know, flap his display off, and you know he's looking for a mate. <clears throat> and I didn't know we had them here, and uh, I wondered how many we had. I see a couple here and there, uh, but I haven't seen a ton of them until recently. I guess they just hatched, and for the past two months, little bitty ones. I mean, they're so tiny; uh, they're about as maybe a little longer than the first joint of your thumb, and uh, real, real narrow, a little green, and they turn brown too, depending on what they're on. They're all over my plants, and I'm so grateful they're there because what do they? They eat insects. They don't eat plants. They eat insects. So I mean, I'm grateful to have these guys. When I when I first saw a couple of them, and I didn't think there was a large population, I said, well, they can survive, and they're real common in the pet trade, and they're cheap. And if you buy them wholesale from like a dealer, you can get them for like a couple bucks a piece. So I was going to buy like fifty of these things, let them go, uh, and see if I could get a population, but. I don't need to do that, man. They are all over the place. the little ones I mean, just like you know like an invasion of them well, you know all of this is why I'm not having any problems really with pests other than the squash bugs, which again, if I wanted to use something like insecticidal soap or just even a couple drops of liquid detergent in a spray bottle with water uh, i could I could knock them out, but I'm afraid that I'll do some damage to uh the predators with that as well so If I have to deal with squash bugs eventually, I've got one pest that's really going to be a problem here. And what I'm realizing is my land is forested land, and I'm surrounded by thousands of acres of forested land. And because of that, there's this natural high population of predators. So what I'm telling you is no matter where you live, the more forest-like you can make your neighborhood, your land, your property, your adjoining properties the more you're going to have of this, this predatory, uh, this natural predatory response. I've seen a couple other kind of cool predators. I've got a bunch of blue belly swifts. They're another type of lizard. They're kind of gray and white. You can Google them if you want to see what they look like. And they're all in wood piles. So, what I need to do is create some wood piles closer to where my garden is. The one thing we have to be careful with the wood piles is we do have copperheads and timber rattlers around. I haven't seen any copperheads this year. I've seen a couple black snakes. I saw a milk snake that some jerk that I hired to help me do some work at the house killed and then said he found dead, but I'm pretty sure he killed it and he thought it was poisonous. It was just a milk snake and they're a beneficial snake and by the way they eat venomous snakes. So it would be a good one to have around instead of kill in ignorance. But um my neighbor uh, up the road from me, we were driving down to where our, our, our kind of like side road meets with the main road and I saw him pulled over and, uh, you know, if you pulled over down there. It's kind of a weird place to be pulled over, so I knew something was going on. So I stopped to see if he needed any help. And uh, what he was doing was cutting the rattler off of a timber rattler that he had run over. And uh, I-, I prefer not to kill snakes, even venomous ones. But the timber rattlers are really a serious threat to your to your safety and your health, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and, you know, you can, if relocating snakes only works to a degree because unless you take it somewhere remote, I'm taking my problem and making it someone else's problem. So if you're, if you're going to kill a venomous snake, things like rattlesnakes, especially, uh, diamondbacks and timber rattlers, I can understand. This snake was huge. Uh, I'd say in his fattest part, he was bigger around than my forearm. He was about five and a half, six feet long. One of the biggest timber rattlers I've ever seen. Uh, it did hurt me to see him dead. Because he was a beautiful animal. He really was. But uh, Scott ran, he ran over his head and then cut his head off and posted some pictures of it on Facebook. I'll see if I can find those pictures and maybe you guys can take a look at them. I don't know if you have to be his friend to see them or not. I, some people set it up that way. Some people don't. But uh, it was a big snake. It really was. And um, I wanted to take it and eat it. But my wife, when I said looks good eating to me... Had a you know, kind of one of those looks, and so Scott says, "Do you want it?" I said, "Nah," because I just didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. Um, but then I found out that once they were, were done showing it to people and scaring their one son with it, uh, they just basically tossed it. Which that kind of made me sad because if nothing else, uh, it would have been a really nice skin uh, hide to do something with. Uh, so if I had known he was just going to discard it, I would have. I would have taken it, but. Uh, there are some dangers from venomous reptiles, specifically timber rattlers and copperheads. And I don't want a copperhead bite. Had one in my life. It really, really sucks. But I, as much as I don't want a copperhead bite, a thousand times more I don't want to be ever bitten by a timber rattler. The Latin name for timber rattler, Crotalus horridus. Horridus, uh, like horrible, horridus. Um, all rattlesnakes are Crotalus species. And the hardus horridus is uh, not about the snake itself. It's about the results of a bite. A timber rattler bite is massively destructive to tissue. So the reason I only bring that up is I have to use some caution with some of these techniques that I don't attract the things I don't want around. Uh, But if I provide some areas with some like wood piles and stuff that are closer to the gardens, that will attract more of the swifts. And another little creature that I found on my property called the blue-tailed skink. Uh, It's another type of lizard. And these guys get big. These guys will get... Head to tail, uh, nine inches I've seen them up to, but a lot of them are, you know, six, seven inches. Uh, they're a, a lizard that are very difficult to catch. They're fast as lightning. I don't really want to catch one other than to get a better look at them, but, uh, great predator. They run down and, 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 and kill, uh, many insect species. So they also like to have places to hide. So my thoughts are going into next year, bring the ponds in and bring some more areas that create good hiding spots for these smaller reptiles but make the hiding spots small enough that large, dangerous animals uh, can't really use them as well. So I've got to balance that. But, you know, I've spent the last 20, 25 minutes talking about this, and I want you to realize something, that all of this knowledge and intelligence about my personal property here uh, come from a very limited gardening experience. Uh, I think I've got like 10 containers on the back deck, and then this bad garden, which, you know, you can look at video of and pictures of if if you want to get more on it. But it's not that big. But just the act of having, you know, everything around me with the burn ban going on and the drought this year has just been withering and dying because we've had so little rain. But the areas that I've watered have created this oasis, and the oasis has brought the predators in. And it's kind of like, you ever watch a, a National Geographic special where they show like the dry season in Africa and there's like one or two watering holes for you know thousands of miles and all the animals have to go there to drink the zebras and the wildebeest of course the lions and the leopards go there too and the lions and leopards don't spend a lot of time hunting in in the dry season it's hot you got to move around you spend a lot of energy they just hang out near a water hole and whenever they're hungry they just go pick one off and You would think that this lush greenness, surrounded by all this this you know dying landscape, would just bring the the pests in you know and then just be eating everything I have. Well, they did come in, but what came as well? If you're attracting the wildebeests and the zebras and the gazelles, you attract the lions and the leopards and the cheetahs, and that's what I've had this year: is this little army of uh, predators just picking everything off now if i can just find something that kills squash bugs we'll be in good shape but again i think we can handle them all right but you know i tell you this today because i want you to start thinking about what you're going to do for your fall guard i know it's still hot it's going to be 100 degrees tomorrow when we're working on our beds i'm not happy about it we had a couple nice days uh cooler days some rain and all we're not going to have that tomorrow uh, Sean's getting here like 7 a.m., uh, and that's going to be cool. I I was like, when he said it's 7 okay, I was almost like, nah, man. That's t- Dude, I don't want to get up at 6.30, so I'm ready for you at 7. But then I thought about it and thought, you know, we get in, we'll knock it out before it's too hot. So, yeah, let's go with that. Um, but even though it's so hot yet, uh we're halfway through August. We're more we're two-thirds almost through August. It's, tomorrow's the 20th. There's 31 days. It's two-thirds, you might as well call it. Uh, September is is the beginning of fall, folks. You think about, you know, a lot of kids have already gone back to school in some parts of the United States, but everybody goes back to school uh, by, by the time Labor Day comes and goes. And September 21st, which is, what, 33 days away? 33 days, fall equinox. Fall equinox is 33 days away. And it's time to start planning. What are you going to do with that wonderful, cool weather that comes? You know, times are changing so quickly around us right now. This is like, when I've talked about this before, I've compared it to when you jump out of an airplane with a military parachute. Not one of those big wing ones that you can just kind of control yourself. You know, those guys, those types of parachutes, if you know what you're doing, you can literally strap a lawn chair to your ass. And, and pull your little things at the end and stop your descent, and you could, you could land with a lawn chair attached to your ass in one of those. That's not how a military parachute lands. When you come out of a plane with a military parachute, a T-10 Charlie or t T-12 Bravo, when you hit the ground, the force is equivalent to jumping off a 10- to 12-foot wall. So you're moving pretty quickly. You just feel like you're going slow because you know of, of scale. But as you're coming down, and you get to like that last 50 feet, every foot you descend, your apparent acceleration speeds up, and like the last couple feet, it's like the ground slams into you, and that's why you know I'd say 80 percent of of airborne school is running push ups and learning how to fall. I mean, that's 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 the biggest thing you do. You run everywhere, you roll around in sawdust pits until you're angry and miserable. Uh, you but everything you're doing is conditioning muscles. Uh, to fall and learning how to fall. And the rest of it's the technical aspects of it, but 80% of it is getting your body prepared for the shock of impact. right? And and that's what I think is about to happen to a lot of people that are like, man, it's still hot, it's still summer, fall so far away. This is what's going to happen over the next couple couple months. It's going to seem really hot out next thing you know it's the fall equinox, and the wind is going to be cool, and that's going to be wonderful. But if you're not planning to make the most of it, it's going to just run past you. Because right after that, what's gonna happen? Trick or treat, right? You know, Charlie Brown's great pumpkin will be on TV, you'll be watching it with your kids or I'm a grown up kid, man. We're gonna when Charlie Brown and the pumpkin patch comes on this year, the wife and I are gonna watch it just like we do every year. The Great Pumpkin, that's what it's called. We're gonna watch that. And then like a week after that's on, man, the kids are gonna be coming around dressed up like goblins and ghouls and, 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 and boom, it's November. And for some of you, that means you're going to be dealing with. By, by the time you're November first, you've already had a frost, maybe a freeze. Us in the south, we'll be hoping we can coax our stuff that's going to be frost sensitive two to three more weeks, maybe. Uh, some of us, you know, where I'm at now, I probably I was able to grow stuff until right up until Thanksgiving last year. I don't think I'm going to pull that off. And when I say stuff, I mean you know tomatillos and peppers and stuff like that. I I don't think I'm going to get that kind of a growing season one more zone north like I am now, especially up in the hills. But it'll be November. We'll be looking at football and going, here's who's going to probably be in the playoffs by then. And then jingle bells, right? The rest of this year is going to run by you at a sprint. Make the most of it. And part of that is realizing that you can feed yourself from your land long after most people quit. There's a lot of things we can do to extend the growing season, not just through the fall, but right into the winter. You know, I've done things I've shown you guys on YouTube, like just using a fish tank. Throw a fish tank over some lettuce plants, and they'll handle all but the coldest weather with just that. When it gets you get a really hot sunny day, you need to go out there and, and lift it up, or go ahead and take it all the way off. But uh, I did a video that I showed you guys that the lettuce plants that were in the in the uh, in the fish tank, just a just a fish tank flipped over. it. Outgrew the the lettuce plants that survived the cold, but were left out in the exposure like five to one in the winter time. And uh, the ones that were really really growing, I was like cutting lettuce off them every freaking day. And the ones that weren't really growing, I, I didn't take anything off them because they couldn't handle it. So there's a lot of things that you can be doing, but you need to be. I'm gonna put it to you this way: you know how in the winter you start your little tomato plants and pepper plants and all? Right now, you need to be starting your broccoli right? Your cabbage, all that kind of stuff. Because we're going into the time of year where that's great to grow. Uh, you need to start looking at when you're going to put your carrots or beets or things like that in the ground if you're going to grow stuff like that. Great time right now to plant something like fava beans so that they have enough time to give you a crop before the frost takes them out. When you get a good hard freeze, favas will will, will go on you. Uh, so if you plant them too late, you know they get really big and you're all happy and then you get a hard freeze and bam, they're taken out. So It's a great time to be planning right now. It's a great time to be planning right now. And a lot of that comes from your interaction and observation. You know, I talk a lot about permaculture. And most of what I told you today wasn't so much what I did. It was simply observing and interacting you know, looking at what was going on. When I saw all those little gray frogs hanging out in my backyard, I went, man, they need a pond. So I had an extra dog dish, and my wife's like, how'd that get there? I took the dog dish, and I set it down in one of the pots that had, you know, enough room to put the dog dish in, and I filled it up with water. Well, primarily because if the frog in the front liked a dog dish for a pond, all the little frogs in the back should like one. So that's observation and interaction. And there's always these little minor things that we can do uh, to 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 improve our environment, improve our growing environment, our our situation, and sometimes they're not major things. Sometimes it's not going to the level of coppicing trees and making a wood gasifier like we had Stephen Harris on about this week. That's great. There's a lot of work there, and a lot of materials, and a lot of effort. Sometimes we can make the biggest changes. With just the smallest little incremental change, it's the butterfly effect. The little bitty change here magnifies and grows across an entire ecosystem. So look for those things. Pay attention this year as the season changes. Which of your crops kind of go, I'm tired, I'm done now, I've done enough. Which ones do really good right up until the temperature hits a certain level? Learn from that. Plan around it in the future. There's a lot to be excited about. The economy is in the crapper. And it's going to look better by the end of this year. And it might even look a little better next year, at least from the talking heads on TV, as they attempt to get the Ask clown in chief reelected. But it's heading off a cliff, and we all know that. There's not a person out there right now whose job is secure, even mine. You know, if it gets bad enough, I'm, I'm not sure how many of you guys will still be supporting the show. But we can all do things to be prepared for that. And one of the biggest things we can do is understand that the cost of feeding ourselves is going to continue to rise. And it's one of the few things that we can actually address. In all but the most extreme circumstances, everybody out there can grow some food. And when people say stupid crap on forums and things like, but when the shit hits the fan, the people who come take your food, at least you'll have something to defend. Right? It, 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 where do you think the people coming to take it away are going to come from? Those who have nothing. Grow something. Plant something, and I'll make a commitment to you I've made before, and I promise you it's true. And I've heard from so many veterans that are dealing with, you know, the, this the, this the mental anguish after returning home and finding such a, a desperate situation. All of them that have emailed me, that have planted a garden, said it's helped them heal. Now, a lot of those guys have gone through things that you and I personally can't even really imagine or understand. If it can help them heal... From that, it can help you with your anxiety. It can help you with your narcissism. It can help you. I don't care what your mental issue is. You know, spin the wheel and pick one. It can help you. If everybody in America would just go out and plant one four foot by eight foot garden bed and take care of it and feed themselves from it, I think we'd put over 50% of psychologists and psychiatrists and psychotropic drug manufacturers out of business in a single year. That's how healing it is. And why? Because it's human. Being human makes you feel human, shocking as that may be. I don't need to sit through four years of ass Clownery College to get a degree in psychology or psychiatry, which everyone's not an MD, or, or go to med school and do the same thing, to understand that if you want people to feel like normal human beings, get them engaged in actions and, 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 and things that are normal human activities. Growing and feeding yourself are normal human activities. Give it a shot. it'll make a difference. As I close today, I want to again, I want to thank you so much, every single one of you uh, that's helped out Jan Klein. Um, after I did the show and the article yesterday and the, the donation receipts started coming in, I was absolutely. Blown away. I told my wife, I feel better about this than I felt about anything as for as long as I can remember the, the fact that we now have the power to do something and to make a difference when other people will not. And I'll tell you what else I feel good about. I don't just feel good that we've given so much. If you look at the total donations and how much came out of this community and we've done about 40% of what the rest of the internet's done, that's, that's, that's humbling to me. But I feel really good about the other 60%. I mean, I, I I am absolutely blown away by that. And uh, I think that's great. And there's a lot of people out there trying to help right now. And I want to throw this in at the end for you. Because uh, if you donate it, you can send that receipt to another person. There's a guy that runs a website called Tactical Dad. Really cool little site. I like it. You guys should check it out. Well, Tactical Dad had two really cool knives uh, that he'd gotten, I don't know, I guess from the manufacturer or from a sponsor or something like that. And he was going to run a contest uh, on his blog for the two knives and he said Jack how about I give you these two knives and you run a raffle or something and then give the proceeds and I'm like I don't want to I don't want to go into the raffle business and fundraising and there's all kinds of tax issues with that where even though you're giving it if it's not to a nonprofit then it's you know it's it's just a mess but why don't you do this why don't you put it out on your blog that instead of running a contest you're just going to say everybody that donates to Jan send me your receipt and I'll draw two people at random and give them the knives. Because that's clean. Because you're not taking the money. I'm not taking the money. And it's your site and your donation. So why don't you run it? So he's doing that. He put out a blog post yesterday. So I'll link to him in today's show notes. Uh, but you know, if, if, if you've given a Jan, go ahead and send him your receipt. And you know, maybe you'll win a knife. If you have it, there's another incentive. If doing it because it's the right thing to do is not enough, hey, you know, what's in it for me? You could win a really, and there are two really cool knives. And, you know, hey, check out Tactical Dad today. Leave him a comment that you heard about him on the show. And, you know, take a look at his site because here's another person joining in. And that's what's really done my heart so well. It's not just what our community is doing. It's what I'm seeing happen in community after community after community across the Internet. And when people say that as a survivalist I have too much faith in humanity, I say to you, this is why I have faith in humanity. There are ass clowns everywhere. But I believe for every one ass clown, there's nine of us that are opposed to ass clownery, and we do the right things for the right reasons, even when we don't agree politically. You know, um, I guarantee you there's people helping out Jan that would vote 100% out from me in any election or if they were in office in any, I mean, just political opposite uh, to me. But when we look at something like that, we all go, that's wrong, and this lady needs help. That's why I have faith in humanity. That's why I have faith in what's going on around me. That's why I have faith if the whole thing ever does crumble, that the 9 out of 10 that are good people will suppress the 10%. We'll put it back together and we we will rebuild it. And I'd like to close with a thought today about that rebuilding and about being prepared. Do you know why? Do you know why the community of the Survival Podcast is able to in one day Raise over $5,000 for someone like Jan because we're prepared. Because we believe that we get rid of our debts. Because we don't want to be the slave of another man with debt. Because when you start living a preparedness lifestyle, you end up with a surplus. And when there comes a time where someone else is in greater need of a portion of that surplus than yourself, you're able to give. And you choose to give. And you do so as a free human being because it is in your nature to help others. The biggest reason most people don't help others is because they they can't, or they think they can't. They can't because they are so strapped; they really don't have a dime to give. They really don't. Have, I mean, if they gave up one bit of what they have, they would push them into bankruptcy, or they're already there. But the majority of people, that's not where they're at. They have they have little. But they're living a lifestyle that's unsustainable and they know it and they feel like they can't help. I'm telling you, there's almost no one out there that can't afford to throw this lady five bucks. So if you haven't, consider doing it. Again, please call that ass clown mayor and explain to, to, the, to her what a waiver is and how she could have done this in five minutes if she really wanted to. And then tell her you're probably not going to have to for her because we've taken care of her for now. Okay? But you better not do this to anybody else. And you better figure out how to solve problems like this if you don't want people like us getting involved. Uh, both in a positive pressure way, which is let's positively you know, put positive pressure into supplementing this poor lady's income, and in a negative pressure way of pushing down the oppressor. That's really, really what survivalism is. It's having enough so that when things go wrong you can take care of yourself. And because of that surplus, when they go wrong for someone else, you have the ability to help. And as soon as you have that ability, for the 9 out of 10 of us that are good people, your human nature will take over and it will cause you to give. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.